My, I guess the representation of uh, Levittown would be a blue-collar mindset. Um, mm -hmm. We're, you know, center Long Island. We're in kind of just, you know, we're, we're, we're the blue-collar boys that aren't probably the most skilled in anything that we do, but we're, the, like, we're known as being tough. Um, after, if you play us in any sport, you'll know that you played us. Kind of, kind of, kind of deal whether you won or lost, you know that you played yeah. a Levittown kid. I actually did. You went to MacArthur High School. Correct. And I didn't know this at the time, but I started to remember once I started doing some research on you. The three most prominent lacrosse alums listed on the website are you, Waldeck, uh, Stephen Waldeck, and Scott Rogers. Correct. And you, off the bat, the word you use to describe Levittown is blue collar. Mm -hmm. All three of you are about as close to blue collar as I've ever met in lacrosse right and that's kind of not only not only like do you play blue collar but it's like part of your identity right it's like all three of you I think are guys who embody that in the way that you play but you also talk about it and preach it um so yeah I mean what, um, what I'm getting at is you're not lying in terms of Levittown being blue collar no definitely not lying if you looked at me Scotty or or, or Waldeck we're, we're full of tattoos <laughs> did you um, did you guys all play together we all played together <laughs> so I was a senior Scotty was a junior and 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 Waldeck was a sophomore um and Scotty's and my dad Scotty's dad and my dad worked together doing construction uh -huh. um so they were close friends so me and Scotty were together all the time I've spent many days and afternoons in in, in uh, the iron jungle that they call it of, of Scotty Rogers house <laughs> Get, come a little bit closer to the mic because I've, I've been curious you can move it towards it you can swing that arm there you go you're talking about wait w which gym in Scott Rogers so for people most people who are gonna listen to this probably know who Scotty Rogers is he's a goalie big built guy who adores lifting weights and it shows because He's in, very intimidating, but doesn't he have a gym in his living Does so, he have a bench press in his living room? So growing up, not just the bench press, he had a T-bar row, he had a full rack, he had a lat pull-down, he had everything you could think of a full gym. Um, and then on the other side of his living room was his couch and TV. So like half was gym and half was couch TV. It, and straight up in the living room? In the living room. Was this a product of their, I mean, I, would, I, I gotta get Scott on here to, to break down how this thing came to be, but like, was there no other room in the house, or was it like this was so integral to everyday life that let's put it right next to the dining room table type of deal? Yeah, um, that's a good question. But I mean, his dad <laughs> his dad worked at Rikers Island for for years, so um, you know he had to stay in shape for his job. Um, and from what I just remember, that's the best spot that they found in the house. Like I said, we're blue collar; we don't have big yeah. houses. We got little Levittown houses, so there's not much space to work with. So Wherever, wherever it fits, it fits, and, and you move on from there. I mean, it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and it's like, it was the, is, blue, is Levittown so blue-collar that no one thought anything of the fact that there was a squat rack in the living room? <laughs> like, was, um, was, he, was he out of the ordinary for having had this? or? I mean, I think everyone would have, like, something in their garage, maybe. Yeah, like yeah. a pull-up rack. Like, like those like old pull, plastic yeah. weights. Yeah, the plastic weights. We had, I, like, in my in my garage, we had the bench press and whatever weights my dad found on his job site. So uh -huh. they were all, like, whatever you could put together. It's like, you, you almost, you just put heavy things on something and lift it up <laughs> and put it down kind of thing. That's, that's kind of... That's on the Levittown uh, 
yeah. on the plaque. Yeah. Put heavy things on your back. <laughs> um, I actually was looking into the hi- the history of Levittown because I remembered it, it. It is a unique town. This is an, a total aside, but it was built as like the first model suburb, right? That all the houses are homogenous, the same house over and over, and it was built for like World War II veterans. Correct. So when they came home, they had yeah. It's just it's it's very cookie cutter. All the houses look the same from 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 when I grew up to now, and even before me. Like the houses have changed. People have put dormers on or extensions and stuff. But if you go back to my house, it's pretty much the same shape it's been since. Yeah, you know, it was built. That's yeah, which is that's just a fun fact for anyone that's listening. <laughs> um, so that's your your roots, and now you're a Southern California boy. You live out here full time. You Correct. Have your gym, Athlete's Choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to just get into that a little bit? What it is, what you do? Yeah. So Athlete's Choice, I um, I bought Athlete's Choice about six years ago now, um, and the reason behind getting into that was um, I saw a need for the lacrosse community out here to understand that it's not just about playing all year round, but I think the, the speed, strength, and, and then the, the individual skill development was a big missing cause. It was, you know, it was very club-based or, or team-based models. Um, so I saw that as my kind of way in to help kids get to the next level. Um, so yeah, we have uh, we started. I started with an 8,000, 9,000 square foot gym. Um, about a year and a half ago, we moved, you know, pretty much down the block, but um, to a 20,000 square foot facility. Is that the one that I that's saw? One, yeah, yeah, that's the one that you were at. Pretty, so it's pretty massive. Pretty legit. Yeah. yeah. So um, and and it allows us to do everything: speed, strength, and skill. So, you know, um, speed training is one of my number one things. I I love speed training. I think mm. the faster athlete you are, the better you're gonna you're going to be on the field. Um, and then we fix any things we see in the speed world, we fix it in the weight room. Um, so if kids aren't strong enough to drive through the ground, so on and so forth, then we, we, we see them run, we see their mechanics, we see all that stuff, and then we fix anything that we see, their strength, posture, mm-hmm. all that stuff in the weight room. So being from actually quite close to where I was born and grew up, it's like, I don't know, probably maybe 10 miles from Point Lookout, Long Beach area to where you are. Yeah. I feel like Long Island miles are longer. They are because people just stay in their in their bubble. Uh-huh. You know what I mean. Um, so it's it's actually geographically pretty close where we grew up, but yeah, we never met each other. You're a few years older than me, but having grown up there and um, the dip, basic Long Island has a reputation, and New York has a reputation for being a certain way, and I would say that it's the antithesis of what the reputation of Southern California is, right? Kind of like weights in the living room. <laughs> you won't see any weights uh, in the living room in yeah, Southern California. Yeah, they have a, their own gym in the basement. Yeah. Um, but ha- ha- having grown up in a place where it's a lot different than this, do you notice that in the kids that you're coaching? Like, do they, are, are you like, wow, I wasn't like this at all when I was growing up? Or are you kind of like that reputation that, that this is the total opposite of New York is overblown? That's a good question. Um, I think it's very different. Um, and I think that's where my kind of going through what I went through and, and growing up where I grew up kind of brings a different perspective. Um, you talked about bubbles. I think so- like Southern Orange County is a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, when, when kids have opportunities to go to the East Coast and play and do that stuff, like a lot of them come back and go, how did you live there your whole life? Like, because of the cold, the yeah, wet, yeah. You know, like it rains, uh-huh. all that stuff. Because they just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, 
coming from a different perspective helps me coach. Um, so it's not all about speed, strength, skill stuff. It's about the mental toughness. It's about, um, you know, the blue collar mindset is like, I, I, as I speak a lot about. Um, and I think I bring that. I think when I first started coaching, I've had parents come up to me and tell me what their kids were doing at home and how they weren't listening to them. And they would bring them to me to sh straighten them out or like get in their face and like, yeah. you know, put them back like in their place. Like, yeah. so like at first, like, didn't matter about the speed training, strength training, or even skill training. It was more about like me being super tough on the kids and getting them to realize like, like there's more to this than, than just, you know, what they're doing on a daily basis. Like, like there's a bigger picture here and, you know, work ethic and, and having that mindset of doing yeah. things on a I different level. I like that level. you get the immediate stamp. That yeah. It's like coach, it snows where coach Tennell's from, <laughs> like listen to him. Um, or like when I'm teaching kids for the first time how to scoop a ground ball, I always tell them, it's like shoveling snow. And I'm like, ah, wait a minute. Yeah, you guys have never no shoveled idea. snow before. Um, so what about just high school kids in general? Because that's one big upside of being around younger people is you have a pulse on that younger generation, right? It's like, oh, well, you know what high school kids are up to because you coach them. Like I remember hanging out with actually a kid from Orange County who was an intern here and just talking to him about high school and like what the kids were doing was like fascinating to me because I'm like, kids are really doing that? And in looking at that through the lacrosse lens, what, what are the kids, what do they watch lacrosse wise? What do they think is like cool? You know what I mean? Are they watching the PLL, the MLL? Are they, do they care about that? That's another, that's a great question. Honestly, um, first of all, they have so many distractions out here. It's tough being a high school kid out here because like you have the beach, you can go to Big Bear, you can <laughs> snowboard, you can do like anything you want uh -huh. within, you know, a, a, a quick rate. Like they're, they're anywhere, they can go anywhere and do anything. So like going to practice every day and, and like having that mindset of, of getting better on the field and doing that stuff is like, there's so many distractions. Uh -huh. We didn't have that. Um, as far as what they're watching to get better and you know what I, I think YouTube is a huge thing that they're that they're watching Instagram right they're watching through like their best players and you've seen kind of you've seen a lot of coaches come out and and post what they're doing all over the country I think um, they're following the players with the PLL more um, a lot of the players are putting out their own content and stuff like that so mm -hmm. I think Instagram and then YouTube um, for that um, whereas when I was growing up, I used to go to Hofstra all the time and watch, you know, the Powells come in from Syracuse and do a flip on the field and uh -huh. go try to go put a, like a mattress in the backyard and try to reiterate it. Like, yeah, yeah. like, like that's how I learned the cross by just yeah. playing in the backyard For and sure. doing that. So I, I don't know. Um, yeah. So I think they just have more at their disposal, like, like, like from their phones. Um, so I think they're watching, you know, what these guys are doing on a daily basis, whether it's in their train, own training regimen or when they're training other players around the country, they're watching it and, and trying to, you know, uh -huh. reiterate those drills. And do you think that there are that um, top level, or just players that you coach in general that are young have aspirations to be professional lacrosse players? Because, you know, when we were younger, it wasn't really a, as viable an option. And there wasn't that like lacrosse highlights and pages weren't as ubiquitous. Like you said, you had to go to Hofstra to get your fix. But now it almost seems like be, being a professional lacrosse player, I mean, I might urge a kid 
otherwise, but <laughs> um, is a viable, like a real option that, and I'm just joking that I would discourage no, a no. kid because obviously it's, it, it's becoming a thing that's actually possible and you can have a great life doing it. Yeah. Are kids outwardly expressing that they might want to do that or? I think they, I think with the PLL coming out, I think that has put it into a different you know, a different path. Mm. I don't think you've you've seen in the past. I've seen it a little bit more of, and and maybe it's because I played in a couple games this year, um, and been around it. But I think um, I think yeah, you're starting to see kids wanna play at that level. I still think the college is like the main goal. I think they want to go play Division One lacrosse, mm-hmm. Division Two or Division Three lacrosse. I think that's like. You know, like, and I think that's what they're getting pushed into. Like, education is first always. Yeah. So I think that's still the big picture. And then if it if it works out in the cards, they'll go play professional lacrosse after. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're starting to see a little shift. A little bit I would more say, of that. Yeah, I'd say a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, I of think that. with just the presentation of the PLL and how professional it looks digitally, and you know how how big their staff is and how well they're getting the sport out there, it just is happening naturally. Happening naturally, like. Whether or not a kid's like, you know, this looks a lot better than the previous presentations of lacrosse. I, I think they just automatically are like, oh, that's something I, I could be a part of. You know what I mean? Whereas if you watch a grainy highlight, you're kind of like, was that a goal? I'm here to see the play, but you're not. And I will, I will tell you this, and this is not just like, like I've watched a lot of PLL games. I don't think I've ever watched another professional lacrosse game <laughs> on TV. Like, being honest. Like, I just, I haven't. And I've. I found myself when I was at home on weekends, like not playing or not traveling that weekend, I was watching the games and I actually enjoyed the product that was being put out. Uh-huh. And I think um, the big thing is the social media push that they did. They, you know, they had guys working around the clock on social media stuff. And I think that just hit home with a lot of the, uh-huh. the younger generation because that's what they're on most. They are. So seeing that, um, and then, and then like, just like all the players being so involved in the social media aspect of it, like mm-hmm. even just like the on-field, you know, mics. Like when kids, when people are getting mic'd up, the ball's at the other end. We're watching yeah. the game, but we're hearing someone say something about the goal they just scored or something like that. I think mm-hmm. that just brings like a different realm to the game. Um, and I think kids are really kind of starting to like gravitate to it and like it. Um, I agree. I think that, I mean, as someone who complains a lot about social media, People are on it a lot. That wave isn't going to stop. Um, I sound like a grandpa who's like, you kids are just using this. But social media has huge upside. Mm-hmm. And the way the league has lever- the PLL has leveraged that is, like you said, what's going to take it to the next level. Yeah. It's like everywhere. And let's be honest. If I grew mm-hmm. up with in the current environment and I was, you know, we were 10 years old, we wouldn't have to go to Hofstra to see that. And, of course, we would be consuming it like fiends, right? Yeah. It's like we love lacrosse, so, why, you know what I mean? Like there's exactly. no – and we probably would have turned out to be better players because of it mm-hmm. and had more clear aspirations within the sport because of it. So, it's, I mean, I think all that stuff is is moving in the right direction with, now, the, with the PLL. Now, I think being on the – and this is just be me being biased because I'm in the strength of – speed world and stuff Uh Um, through social media um, I've also seen coaches that are you know they're they're strength speed coaches and they're they're you know they 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 coach other sports their whole lives Uh you see them coaching lacrosse athletes a lot more on on social media and the 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 scary part is that 
the content they're putting out that like that does not directly correlate to lacrosse. So like what you'll uh, see, and, and this is, again, this is me being biased. I'm a strength well, coach, speed coach, and a, and a skill coach. I would coach. say less bias and more that you're actually calling it like it, right? You're I'm like, calling it like it is. I see a lot uh, of drills on social media that are backed by guys at the next level or the higher level, and they're backing these drills that literally are making kids worse. Uh, like, don't do it. And, and do you think that's because they simply don't intimately know the sport? Yes. Yeah. I think, I think so they're, they're, they're taking they're taking – they're taking drills that they would do on a football field with a receiver or a running back or whoever they're working with skill players and they're trying to correlate it. and they're you could see the correlation it's somewhat but there's some like things that they're doing over and over that I see and I cringe watching it because knowing speed like I do and the game like I do my correlation just is tighter right so like I'm not going to waste my time doing a drill that looks fancy and looks good and is going to get get a lot of likes and yep. I'm doing things that you need to rep out a ton of times to get good at it, but they're simple baseline foundations. Like get these foundations down and mm-hmm. then move on to the fancy drills or speed drills if you want. But speed is like, it's like if you're not going to do it on a field, then don't practice it. Don't rep it out. If you're, if you're going to, then, yeah, you know. And that's probably why, uh, where you're finding like clients down here is that you actually are someone who knows speed and plays professional lacrosse, right? Yeah. So that's um, kind of that's kind of what I'm hitting on. A, you see these drills, and it's just like that. Like I've never seen. Like I would like to see these coaches do their drill, and then and then put a video of a professional lacrosse player doing what they just did, <laughs> and they won't find a single thing on it. Yeah, that's like that's absolutely not yeah. applied to no. anything on the field. No. no. Well, that's that's good for you. That means you yeah. can step in and say, "This is what's what I'm coaching, and I'm coaching it because I've actually done this before." Yeah. Um, what uh? What are your thoughts? This just popped into my head. What are your thoughts on? And this this might be like a very rare percentage of people, but I have seen it. They're speed trainers. They have a decent following online, but it doesn't look like they're fast at all. They look out of shape. Um, and for me, I'm like, why is he teaching speed? Maybe he was formerly speed, and he still knows the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Is that? Can you still be a legit speed trainer and look like you can't even run a forty? That's a great question. Um, I think there are speed coaches out there that were in good shape at one point, and then, you know, they built a foundation of fast people. So then, yes, they have the resume that behind, they know what to teach. And a lot of those guys, you know, like when, when guys retire from sports and they, you know, they put on their dad bod or whatever like that, they could still move really well. Uh-huh. So if they could, I think you still have to, when you're a speed coach, you have to be able to demo everything that you're teaching. Uh-huh. If you can't do it yourself, don't teach it. Like, you, you shouldn't be doing it. Well, it isn't, now that I'm, you know, analyzing what I said, I, there are lacrosse coaches who were phenomenal players in their day and now look like, you know, life got the better of them and they're still great coaches should they not coach. I just feel like speed's like this weird thing that... I think people have to do more research into speed. I think they're... I, here, here's where the fitness world is. The fitness world is putting out these things that look good on social media that don't really get you faster or they, they, they just look good. Mm-hmm. They look like, like they're, they're teaching someone that moves really well to do some crazy drill and then people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I'm going to try that. Yeah. That's not going to help you. It's um, that, go ahead. So, oh. so like what, what I pride myself on and is like I don't work with a lot of professional athletes and the reason being is because 
it's super easy to work with professional athletes. They're very good at what they do. So like your job is to get like 1%, get them 1% better without messing them up. And I see a lot of people working with high level athletes that are doing drills that are not helping. Like, like, le- like go back to the, ba- like a lot of the times speed is go back to the basics. Like, yeah. and everything you do in speed needs to be directly correlated to the sport they're playing. If it, if it's something, if it, if you took it from another sport and you think it's going to like, you better test it and you better learn it yourself and see, mm-hmm. okay, does this work or not? And then throw it out or, or keep it. But I just see that like it's, it's just kind of all over the place yeah what i mean just in getting into this speed like this and the coaching of it a lot of it is mechanics right Mm -hmm. when you get clients in what percentage of them are already fast um so and well some of them are like lacrosse is a is a fast game right it's 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 a speed game the faster you could be the better you're going to be on that field so that's why i love working with with you know it's um, athletic lacrosse players or, or faster lacrosse players or kids that have that in them but they just haven't got the yeah. right training um, so so correlating speed in lacrosse is all like watching guys that have done it Kyle Harrison like the guys that are the fastest most explosive guys year in year out mm-hmm. um, I mean if you watch like the, the big thing that I teach is a three-step split I mean Kyle Harrison probably invented that like there no one had a better split in his mm-hmm. heyday than him like so yeah. i've i've like watched film on him and break broken down his shin angles and where his head is like like biomechanics of speed where your head is over your your toe or over your you know, like your plant foot and everything yep. like that so watching his body movement and putting those pieces together um to teach a kid that necessarily couldn't do that in the past or just never naturally did that mm-hmm. teaching that kid how to do a three-step split that will work yeah um, so taking a guy that can't do that and, and teaching him, like, is he going to do it as, as, as well as Kyle Harrison ever? No, but he'll do it well enough to beat some guys. Yeah, for you sure. never know. He yeah. might be – Kyle Harrison's highlight tape was another uh, – you want to talk another about level. the pals. His was another classic in, mm-hmm. uh, in high school. I feel like during our era, like when we were young, there was like maybe ten videos that we had that like every person our age watched, whether it was like – Mikey Powell's highlight ta- uh, tape, Kyle Harrison's. Uh, who else would be on the list? I mean, I'm a little older, so I used to watch, you know, Casey and Ryan. K- yeah, K- I mean, K- interchange any of the Powells. Yeah. So that that accounts for like half of the content that we had mm-hmm. was like the Powells, and then um, and then Kyle Harrison. And Kyle Harrison's was he did he graduate a little bit after Mike Powell? Or were they around the same? Um, I think close to the same. I think Mikey was. I think the same. Yeah, the th- same those, those Kyle Harrison and Mikey Powell were the two that. Granted, I was never breaking down ankle, ankle angles or yeah, yeah, mechanics, like but well. I was just like, I hope I could do that. I never quite hit it. But <laughs> um, going back to your high school, I lo- on the records page, I couldn't click any of the links at MacArthur High School record books. It said something about servers. It said what you expect to see with like a. Municipally, a municipal school district. Yeah. Um, but all it said was notable alums. Then it said Nick Tintel, 2004, currently holds all MacArthur General scoring records. <laughs> attended UNC. And then it said Scotty Raj and Stephen Waldeck. It, I, I don't think it had information on either of them, but just that you held all. Do you still hold all the scoring records? 
As far as I know, yes. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I go, but when I go back, I have a, there's, well, when I was closer to high school, now I'm further out, the guys don't really know me as much, but like when I was going back, like when I was in college and stuff, I had kids tell me that they're going to break my records every year. And from what I know, they they still hold. Um, Damn right they do. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure about that question, but yeah. Does MacArthur High School have the weight room just in the classrooms, like straight up in the hallway? It is so one of the classrooms actually. So, <laughs> so like, it was like, I think math class was right. Like, like when I was younger, like ninth, 10th grade math class. And then like the weight room was like another classroom right next door to it. Wait, it really was. The yeah. weight room was in a classroom. Oh, and it was like, it was like donated weights, whatever we can get. Like, that like, is yeah, phenomenal. Like, it was it was not this is top a anything. top to bottom blue collar place yeah and then um i don't know what happened but like sophomore year i think it was sophomore year or maybe the beginning of junior year they put in a, like they they did some construction and then added a full weight room um <laughs> you said i don't know what happened as I, if that yeah. was like a bad thing i don't know what happened no. but they they made it a real gym no they started <laughs> yeah they, they started adding on to the to, to the school and all of a sudden we got a a real weight room um i think we started having some uh success in football um and you know baseball has always been a big uh a big thing in Levittown, so I think they just—it was time to, to upgrade the weight room to, to stay up with all the other schools. Yeah, yeah. Um, so me, Scotty, and Waldeck, uh, we uh, we started the—I guess I won't take the Breakfast Club, but we were at school 5:30 a.m. every every morning before school, working out. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it was the the funny stories is like I like I try to get kids to be consistent with working out. Like I didn't miss when when I was told I was too small for football and lacrosse. Like and I made an effort to like get in the weight room. Um, kids don't understand here. Like like you wake up, it's beautiful every day. Yeah. When you wake up in the middle of the winter and you got to go work out at 5:30 in the morning. Like I remember. In a classroom. Yeah, in a classroom <laughs> that had no, like it didn't have heat. You know that. <laughs> So you walk in there, you're you're looking at like your breath of smoke is like it's like do yeah. you really want to work out right now? Like uh -huh. I, you did like a lot of days you didn't. Yeah. Um, but I remember waking up, I'd run out like with like like whatever I slept in, I'd run out, I'd turn the car on, blast the heat, get in the shower, get ready, and then get in the car and go at five thirty to go work out, and uh -huh. then and then you'd finally warm up, and then you'd open the weight room, and it was ice cold in there, and you know all metal weights don't don't stay warm, yeah. they're freezing, so you touch everything. It's like uh -huh. it was it was brutal at times, but I think starting that five thirty a.m. workout with Scotty and and, and Walt, that created a little bit of a culture, um, a culture change, um, and we got some other guys as we as we rose to senior juniors and seniors as, to get more guys in the weight room, and you know mm -hmm. I think that helped. The culture and, and and obviously like the what we put out on the field, I think we got better over time. Yeah, not to mention that's just legendary. <laughs> I mean, being up at five thirty, lifting just that alone, yep. surface level is like okay, this guy has been like di as disciplined as you are for a long time. And the fact that it, why didn't you just do it in Scotty's living room, by the way? You know what? That's a good question. <laughs> I think like, I'm probably sure like his his mom didn't they want to stay at 5:30 a.m. That's valid. I mean, his dad was probably working out in the in the, in the <laughs> weight room at <laughs> that time. Like, he's like, yeah, he's like, hey, it's my time. Get out of here. <laughs> Him and his buddies yeah. had the house. Yeah, they had the house. It's a generational thing. Um, uh, just quickly, because right before we started chatting and rolling the cameras, you said you. Play while well, you were looking around here in horror at the baseball bats, but it wasn't real horror. You're like me because we both played baseball at one point. T tell that story that like you were gonna play baseball as so, your main sport. Yeah, so I was gonna play. I was gonna. I, 
so my dad, for like rewind, my dad was like, whatever sport you decide to play, because you know, when you're younger, you play whatever you want. When you get to a certain age, you got to pick a couple sports. Um, now you got to pick one sport, um, uh, which I don't agree with. However, um, I had a, a legendary, you know, Hall of Fame Maryland coach, Bob Boniello, um, when I was younger, and you know, he was my coach at youth, um, the youth level, and. I, I came home and we're going to middle school so I'm in sixth grade going to seventh grade and I have to you know pick either baseball or lacrosse I decided to play baseball um, as a seventh grader so I told my dad and you know at that time like I didn't think much of it I saw his face he go, oh yeah no I support you with whatever sport you want to play and then I don't know, a week goes by and I got a visit from Bob Boniel randomly comes into my room and threatens my life pretty much to say says like look you're gonna play. You're gonna play lacrosse, and that's the end of this story. And I'm out of here. And like I was there like, a couple f bombs like, in there. Yeah, I was kind of like, what the hell just happened? Um, so I walk out to the kitchen. I remember my dad sitting out there. He goes, What, what was what was Coach Boniello doing here? What was Bob Boniello doing? Because they're like friends from from back in the days. I was like, uh, No, he was nothing. Like, but but I I changed my mind. I'm gonna play lacrosse in middle school. And I could like at that point, like I never thought it was like a weird thing. But I look back at it like four or five, six years later, and I was like. And because like right after I told him, my dad like went behind a wall and I couldn't see him, and I could just see him like doing like the like yeah. oh yes, got he it. called Bob. Oh, over he there. definitely called him over there and got him to scare the life out of him. Scare the life out of him. Tell him he knocked <laughs> you back on track. Exactly. Um, but thank God he did it. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Um, what would I, what, oh yeah. Lo, so Long Island versus Maryland. This this is something that I, I'm you you're, you to me are a Long Island guy like a um what people imagine with long island not the not the sometimes false made up like bro long island there's like different there is different i'm talking about the within the lacrosse world long island versus maryland has and correct me if i'm wrong long island is more blue collar gritty um it's Maybe fo- less refined. I would say it's more football lacrosse. Football lacrosse. When you're younger. Whereas Maryland is more finesse. like refined. They got the hair. Um, and both are, are hotbeds in their mm-hmm. own right. Um, what do you think about that, Holt? Do you think that that's true? Because well, you've encountered a lot of people from both. So, so growing up, that's when like the club scene started mm-hmm. like I was in the middle of it so like I remember starting playing club as a as a sophomore in in high school um and there were maybe two teams on Long Island it was like Suffolk County team and a, and a Nassau County team we were the sting and then they had like team Long Island out in Suffolk County um and then like there was maybe one New Jersey team and like one or two Maryland teams. I think it was the Crabs yeah it was Tri-State and then like the Crabs were down in Maryland um when we went to Maryland and played Maryland in Maryland, we would be in the penalty box the whole time, and they would win by a goal. Mm-hmm. When they came up to Long Island, we wouldn't be in the penalty box. We would win by one goal. So it was like, it was like even growing up in Long Island, like like they let you play a little bit more. So it was a little bit more chippy. It was a little bit they they allowed you to be a little bit more physical. Where in Maryland, they they focus on finesse. And don't get me wrong, the guys in in Maryland were way better at lacrosse than us. We were just. Mm-hmm. gritty we got more ground balls we got more opportunities yeah, on offense. Like weights we, in the living room type we had thing. weights like, in the living room um, that's but i think that's a pretty accurate depiction i don't know if that's like for us growing up that's how i felt it like it was yeah i don't know if that's carried on today i don't know if there's more like i just think there's so many teams that 
talent is so split and everything. I, I mean, like the, t- the the Long Island Sting team that I was on, like every every kid on that team had played D D one. I remember right? that team. Was it which Sting was it? Sting Black or Sting? Oh, uh, that was before you had two teams. Yeah, that was just one team. It was um, yeah, it was one team, and we had guys that went to Harvard, a couple guys that went to Carolina. Like it was just stacked. Yeah, I remember um, playing the Sting back in the yeah. day. I think I think you guys whooped us. Yeah, they, I mean it was a pretty it was a pretty good good team, um, and then like I said, we played the Maryland team. They were all D one commits as well, um, yeah. just more finesse. Mm-hmm. But if you guys fought after the game, there's no, absolutely no chance they would win. No shot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's, just so we can clear that. Um, shoot, what was I? I just had an idea. I actually, and here's a funny story with PLL at training camp this 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 season. I'm down at training camp and I meet everyone's calling him Glick, but Mark Glassini. He comes up to me and goes, you know, you coached me for Sting. I coached him, like, when I was in college. I uh-huh. coached him when he was playing for Sting, and he was exactly like I was as a player um, back in the day. So I loved coaching him, but I didn't even realize that now he's at the professional ranks with me, yep. which makes me just feel like an old man again. <laughs> you guys have a lot in common, you two, just like your, your mindset, your toughness. And when I was Googling and getting info on you, I saw that – you were both Sting alums, and this was like eight pages deep in Google. That's how committed I am. Um, I didn't know that he. W- where did he grow up? Well, th- at that, where did he? I think was he a Jersey? Oh, he's Jersey. Jersey. He's a Jersey guy. He's yeah, Jersey. he's a Jersey guy. So Sting, after like when it started becoming like a cl- like a club, uh-huh. more of a club scene, Sting started getting guys from local areas that wanted to play for that because I think we did so well in the beginning that it became like, yeah. hey, we got to play for yeah, Sting. Yeah, you could pull from It was, a, recruiting, it was a, re- a really good recruiting um, platform too with a guy that ran Sting, so he was getting you in, in the, the, the tournaments that you need to be seen by and everything like that. Gotcha. But Yeah, I didn't even put two and two together until I saw him at training camp yeah. years, years later. And he's playing at the same, you know, the ranks. Yeah, he's, he's pretty damn good and at this yeah, point, too. If you wa- yeah, if you watch him play this year, he, I mean, in my opinion, the best D-Midi out there right now. Wow. that's So I had him on this podcast, and I asked him, who do you think is the best D-Midi in the game? And he said, me. I think I'm the best D-Midi. I think he so is, too. So it's good to hear you validate his statement. It just, and I think it's more than just, like, the X's and O of being a D-Midi and doing your job and everything like that, he does above and beyond. He, like, uh, how many times did he get? Did he run in front of shots this year? Yeah. Like, that's fascinating to me. It like, is. That's taking one, like, an ultimate team player. It, like, he's the epitome of what a coach needs in a D-Midi. And I try to be that still, but, like, get in front. My body might break <laughs> with those shots, like, get in front of those. Like, I want it's to. It's been a long like, time <laughs> since those 5.30 lifts. Yeah. Um, that's actually – and when he said that, so when I asked him – you know who's the best team in it and he said it it hit so much harder because he's not an arrogant guy right mm-hmm. if, if for an arrogant guy who's the best i'm the best well of course you're gonna say that but like who's really the best but he's not an arrogant guy so when he said that i was like i think he's the best yeah. he's he's <laughs> so, com- he's confident right now and yeah. he knows his his ability and he knows what he's willing to do and like he's he's got it down i actually sent him a note before they were playing in the playoffs game mm-hmm. like how like kind of proud I was of like watch, just watching him play it was yeah. just like he was fun to watch yeah he's a great kid easy to root yeah. for um, the thought that I had that evaded me before popped back into my mind what about at the human level Maryland versus Long Island because I think people in lacrosse almost like it's almost like you are someone who works half your year in Baltimore half the year in, in Long Island like you have that much insight into the two worlds because most people at the high level, I mean, it's changing, but mm-hmm. are from 
New York or Baltimore. So I feel like lacrosse players have a unique perspective that, like, if you're going to ask anyone what's the difference between New York and Baltimore people, it would be us. You know what I mean? What do you think that that finesse, um, softer, if you will, and I, I probably don't fall into the Long Island category, so I'm definitely not calling myself tough. Um, do you think that the humans are like that too? That maybe you guys are uh, Long Island. I, I can group myself. You're, <laughs> like you're going to get me in trouble if I answer that completely honest. That's, that's um, what's going to be. It's the good stuff. I think. Um, look, I have a lot of Maryland friends. I also have a lot of kids that I've met in Maryland that I just don't get along with. Yep. Um, I don't know. I think. Uh, I think it's just you know kind of how you're raised and how you were taught the game. Uh-huh. Um, and I think those two different ways of playing actually makes like, like, like think of a college, like a, a college coach recruiting. You need to recruit from both places. If you recruit a full, you know, Maryland squad, then are you going to be tough enough to win the tight games and, the, and like the games that get physical? Mm-hmm. If you recruit all Long Island, you're gonna be in the penalty box. You're gonna have a bunch of hotheads. You're gonna, yeah, right. Like you're gonna have a lot of kids. You're gonna have some, a lot of self-destruction. Out. Yeah, failing out, going crazy on the field, like losing their their composure. Yeah. So it, I think as a as a college coach, like like getting these guys that that can play together, and you have that mix of finesse and then also toughness, I think is like the key to having a like a, a really solid team. Yeah, that was a. So I think a they go poli- hand in hand. That was a politician's answer. There, it was. Good. <laughs> if you had to go to a party that was filled with Long Island people or filled with Maryland people, you're going to Long Island. And looking for the exits, just because okay. it's going to get rowdy and <laughs> I need to get out of there if things go you're bad. You're plotting your exit you're early. Plot your exit because it will things, be fun while it lasts. Things will get rowdy and then you probably have to. Wow, that's that's a phenomenal answer. Though. But in answering that, you answered what I wanted you to answer. Which people do you like better? You like Long Island. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, you went to UNC. Um, and you said I watched an interview you did with someone else. You guys didn't win an ACC game. Not one. The whole time. The whole time. No. And this is where the ACC was four teams. So it was essentially six games a year because you played them each twice. Mm-hmm. And you never won one. Nope. And I'll tell you what we had. I mean, that was a time when Duke was stacked um, with talent. We. I mean, there was times we were beating them at like seven goals at halftime, and then end up just. Did it become tanking. like a curse toward the end where it was like this is never going to happen? I or? think it was a big like and, and, you know, like from high school to college, college to pro, like the mental side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the when, like, you know, when like like a team just has your number. Yeah. Like those teams had our number. And like no matter what, you go into that game and all of a sudden you're, you're doing well. But something creeps back in and says, like, all right, are we going to, like, like you like you kind of take off the – you take your, your, your foot off the gas, yep. and then they creep back in, yep. and, like, no, this is not happening. And then you get into that mental – like, and, like, at that time, like, we weren't mentally tough enough to get over those hump, that hump, um, whether it was leadership down or whatever it was. Um, we just – you just knew that there was a mental block playing those teams. Yeah. Because so, we would go on and we would beat Hopkins, and Hopkins, I think the – the two years that Hopkins won with, you know, I think one year with, uh, or, or maybe it was, it was two years with Rabel, like when he was a sophomore and senior, the last game they lost was against us. Like we would mm-hmm. beat, we would, so we beat the best team at the end of the season. They would be the top. We'd beat them during the year, but we couldn't beat any, like any of the other teams. I, I've experienced that against Cornell for sure in my, and then Rob Pinnell got hurt 
<laughs> my senior year and it seemed like fate did me a real solid there and we, yeah. we got him um, but I definitely know what that feels like um, you had 73 points in college were you a, you weren't a D midi no you were like a do it all midi I was a yeah a two way midi so and, and in high school you were obviously like a purely well you were a do it all midi but you ha- like broke all the points records yes you were, uh, when you went in there were you what were, what, were, what did you think at UNC did you think you were walking into what, what position did you think you're gonna play so midi? yeah uh, rewind to uh, high school so I actually played attack my freshman sophomore year oh, really? and then I played midfield my my junior senior year, but when I got tired I'd move to attack and someone would play midi so like I didn't come off the field mm-hmm. um but, yeah, I had the two-way mentality. I liked playing defense. I liked being physical. So, like, I didn't want to come off the field. And MacArthur's not a powerhouse in lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're never, like, bad. We're not bad. We're, like, just middle-of-the-road guy. Like, you know, um, like I said, you know when you play us. But, like, <laughs> we were always, like. They bring a lot of yeah, ice bags when yeah. they play the boys from MacArthur. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I pride myself on playing a two-way, two-way midi spot. Um, when I got to college, same thing. I, you know, obviously it went to more of an offensive role. I played mm-hmm. offense, and if I got stuck in the field, they were confident that I could play defense. Um, I will tell you that I started my freshman year. Um, I think the first game was against Hopkins. Kyle Harrison's a, a, a senior, um, and obviously when he gets on the field, I was like, pull, pull, get a pull to him, and I was on <laughs> defense. So, like, I switched off him, and the next guy that comes on, I pick him up, and I'm like, I'll take this guy. It's easy, and he split me and hit a top right and it ended up being Paul Rabel um so like I was oh like my. super confident as like I, I got this guy it's another freshman whatever yeah and he stuck it and uh, obviously that was a wake-up call for me um but I took on more of an offensive role and I think playing attack in in uh, high school helped me with that um so I inverted a lot at Carolina and and I mean I could still score now I just choose to play defense I think that's where my role is now yeah that's what they all say but um (laughs) 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 no once I saw you had 73 points in college I was like oh damn and then I started looking and all the articles about games you were scoring like big goals and that's where I started to put together the more complete picture of like what your trajectory was um you you said you like contact oh there's also I feel like Long Island had like has a a high number of attack physical not that skilled prolific attackmen who like wouldn't make it in Baltimore. It's like I, I just picture like someone from like Sachem or like Smithtown that like absolutely dominated straight through high school and then I never heard of him again. And it was because Long Island was that like tough gritty style of play mm-hmm. where like the coach was like yeah you're gonna be an attackman yeah. whereas in maryland i feel like they'd be like you're gonna be on d yeah i don't know if that's true that just popped it could in my be head. yeah you could have yeah, I, I i've seen that a couple times where like they're most pro, like a prolific scorer in long island and they get to college you never hear about them again yeah. i think a lot to do with that um i mean i've seen a lot of guys that that did it well in high school i think that has more to do with just size i think they got they would just get beat up at the next level a little bit more Gotcha. Oh, so they tried to bring that physical brand to the next level. That but, makes more sense than the theory that I. But I yeah, have, but then but like the bigger defenders in in college and stuff like that, they just couldn't get away with it. Or they did. They'd score, but they would take brutal hits. Uh. Like a, like someone that comes to mind and like unbelievable in college had an unbelievable co- college career. But towards the end of his career, he took so many 
shots that like he, his body started bringing out was Billy Bitter. Like, yeah, he's absolutely incredible. Like he was a force of nature, so quick. But when you do an inside roll in college, and you have to take a hit, you, your body has to be able to absorb that. And I just think he was a little smaller on, on the smaller side. Yeah, that, that he would just kamikaze. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would. It, he did it as successfully as you could but like sometimes he took some hits you was you want to talk about you had an exit strategy at the party when he would dodge there was no exit strategy no. it was no. uh no it was it he would, was going yeah but he he did so well with it he did um speaking of contact what sport do you think all right so i, I can't remember if i've talked to someone about this on the podcast but i've talked to people about it in general a lot of times what sport would you like People like to say LeBron's the best athlete on the planet. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that because basketball doesn't have uh, as much contact that that sport isn't a proper vetting process for... I No, I disagree with that. I think LeBron, just to see his, just, you know, how big of a human being he is and how well he moves, um, mm-hmm. arguably could be considered one of the you know most athletic... Mm-hmm. Don't you, you know. just want to see him get it put on his ass, though, and see how he reacts to that? I mean, for me, what the- I would what I would like to see is him play. And and I know I'm gonna like like because you got the huge LeBron fans. I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. I would like to see him play in that era when you go down the paint, you get taken out. Is that? See, I always thought that that was the anti-LeBron angle that was overblown. Was it that much more physical in the NBA back then? I mean, I remember watching Nick Pacers games and. And, and and Bulls games with, uh, with the Bulls and Pacers or Bulls and Knicks. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't you didn't go down the paint without feeling it a lot of times. I think um, I don't. Th- I think I think it gets to that in the NBA when it gets to playoff time a little bit more. But I just don't think like there's no Dennis Rodman's out there anymore. There's yep. like there's no really big men in, in like there's no like like those big bruisers like Shaquille O'Neal or anything like that in the paint like. And then, and but you have the reverse side of it too. Like if LeBron James is coming down the alley at you, are you going to go take him out because he's a he's he's a physical specimen? So he might be able to take that if and dunk the sport right through call, you. If the sport calls for you know him, I actually thought you'd be on the other side of it because you're such a phys- you like physicality. For me, when I'm I'm willing to admit that he's probably the best athlete, mm-hmm. um, but I would just wish the sport that it, basically, if I were to design a sport to decide who's the best athlete physicality would be involved um but i do agree it's probably lebron and you just moved my needle because i was expecting you to agree with me like like you gotta well i mean my like i still think like like i love football um but then like you look at football and it's like they're taking the physicality out of football too and i'm not saying it's not physical because nfl is still the most physical game out there yep um but I don't know. Yeah, that's. I think I think you take each sport differently, and um, and it depends you know. on how you define athleticism, right? Because like, in talking to other people about this, some of us were like UFC, right? That's like the ultimate athletic showdown, life or death, if you will. Um, but then you watch like a UFC guy shoot a basketball, and you're like, no, that's definitely not. It's <laughs> definitely not the best athlete. Exactly. So you're breaking it down. I break it down by sport because so like we had um, we've trained um, 
like uh, like motorcyclists, like guys that like Mopar, whatever the thing is, like where they get like or? no, where they go, what's oh, the where they go real bikes, low, where they go real low, and their knee like literally hits the ground. I don't oh. know why I can't think of it right now. Yeah, but I've I've seen guys that come in and out of that that are like at the top of that game, and then you throw a tennis ball at them and they like it hits them in the face. Well, and you're like, how do you react? But like, how, like, like reaction stuff, ah. and like, how do you like react to like little changes so fast on the? That's track? I feel like that's closer to how a computer functions than how. And granted, we're like a like in other sports, it's like a moving computer mm-hmm. it has parts. But like to just go like this, I feel, well, it's just a computer controlling like balance, right? I feel yeah. Like, would you? But that's what got me thinking about like each sport has their uh, has their like expertise. Yeah, like like put me on a motorcycle i'll like i'll crash into a wall like i won't be able to ride it until i learn it um but i think everyone has their expertise and has their individual skill that makes them great at that sport and that's what they know and that's what they've been training for and over and over and i think it's like the human body the capabilities of a human body like to do all these different things um you have to take that event with everything so you can't really compare a ufc fighter with lebron james you yeah. can't compare a I lacrosse think, player with a football player i but think you, that's what it come back, comes back to is that to try to narrowly define athleticism is naive and yeah. that like but from from the standpoint of like mechanics and the, and speed and the things that you are an expert at lebron is definitely up there lebron is up there and then like some other athletes that come to my mind is like the cross crossover athletes like deon sanders Bo Jackson, mm-hmm. um, even um, like watching what Barry Sanders did or, or what Saquon Barkley is doing right now, mm-hmm. like those guys, like those are that's that's just, those are physical specimens. They're above and beyond everybody else. Yeah, like you're like if you could like <laughs> like watching like watching Barry Sanders when he played for the Lions, like he never was on a good team and yet he still got all his yards and did all like like what do what do football like coaches like it's been in between the trenches offensive line defensive line like i don't know if he had a great offensive line but he made freaking everybody miss yeah like that's crazy to me yeah so being successful still and being on that level with that many guys that are that good at what they do and making them look that bad yeah that's that's that yeah that's, that's a definite well it's like you you can't define what athleticism is, but despite that, you can definitely say that guys like that are more athletic than both of us. Than, you know what I mean? Than, so that's like than the, everyone. The elusive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, well, yeah. you can't define athleticism. Okay, well, you definitely can't catch a football. So you're, I know that you're unathletic. I yeah. might not be able to define athletic, but um, so with your, with what you do, because like you said, you're a performance coach. Um, how how in depth do you get with the kids do you do you talk about diet do you talk about um mindfulness training any of that or is it do you kind of stick with mechanics i know you're an overall mentor but yeah so so like our main thing is is um teaching life life lessons through sports Mm -hmm. um so it's it's way more than what people will see like if they come to our gym like I'm a type A personality. I'm very hard on the kids because honestly, like, and, and like, there's so many things out there that say like, like how to coach or, or, or like, like yelling at kids is not good and all that stuff. And I completely agree with that to an extent. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think you could tell a kid he, he's doing nothing wrong all the time. And like, like baby him, I'm hard on my kids. Like I get my kids a lot of the times teary eyed and, and it's, it's tougher on me than it is on them mm-hmm. all the time. But what people don't see and what my coaches don't see, what parents don't see, 
only that athlete sees is when I take them aside, when I see that I broke them down to a level that they can't, they're, they're going to like cry or get upset or I take them to a side and say, Hey, look, this is the reason I'm so hard on you is because I see you up here. I see your potential and I see what you're doing to get there and it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And I like, I'm trying to get you to that level that you don't see in yourself. So like the things I do behind closed doors. So like, if you want to call that mental training, if you want to call that what uh, coaching, like I think it's a balance of being really hard on kids and getting the most out of them, uh-huh. but also telling them and explaining why you're doing it. Yeah. Right. There's, there's those coaches that I've seen that yell and scream and then, the kid gets off the sideline and they don't, they don't tell them why they're yelling at him. So that kid's going to make the same freaking mistake because yeah. you didn't correct it. You just yelled at him. I yell and then uh-huh. I talk to him. I say, look, this is why I'm yelling because this is what you did. Yeah. This is what you need to do in that next situation. Like, so it's like the buildup. And it goes more into the mental aspect. Um, I've recently um, invested in a company called Evolve One. Um, it's a mental training app. So it's on your phone. Um, it's geared for 12-year-old kids all the way through high school. Um, and it's the first mental training app that's going to be out there that is deliverable for kids at that level. NBA, um, NFL, MLB, they spend millions and millions of dollars on the mental performance training stuff with, with like high-end doctors mm-hmm. that have been in this, and they, they meet one-on-one and stuff like that, but there's nothing that's been delivered to the youth gotcha. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do believe in it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's called Evolve One? Evolve One, you yeah. You heard that, so. a word from our sponsors, people, Evolve One. <laughs> That's a free a free plug, but it sounds like a good idea. It's, when is it coming out? Um, it's still in beta testing stuff. We have a lot of teams on it. Some of my teams are on it, and then some soccer teams up in Seattle and, and mm-hmm. all across the country are on it right now. We're just like collecting feedback, and we have a ton of people that want to get on it, but we just have to build the, the platform yep. bigger the so that we could – the yeah. user interface and all that stuff. Um, but, again, like it, it's simple test um, that – and it's really holding the athlete accountable on a daily basis on what to do, like set your goals here and mm-hmm. what are you going to like and reverse engineer that on how to get there. Gotcha. And that's kind of how I coach. Mm-hmm. Say like I, I bring in people for an assessment. I sit them down. I say, what do you what do you want to get out of this? What do you want to do? You're coming to me, obviously, because you're committed. How committed are you? And then I'll give you I'll reverse engineer that and say, this is what it's going to take to get there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times those kids look at it and get overwhelmed a little bit. And then we, we say, take a day at a time, and this is what we're going to do uh-huh. then, and so on and so forth. So they always see that end goal. Um, but I think that's the importance of the mental training part. Is I think that's, well, yeah, the fact that you have, like, a balance about you, that you get the kid almost crying, and then you pull him aside, and you give him kind of the softer side. For me, I never understood coaches who, who only had that hardo side because it's like, damn, doesn't this guy get it? Like, mm-hmm. he's just always this version of himself, and he doesn't, and not everyone's like that. So it's almost like, I think a lot of it comes with, um, like, if I'm doing writing work, you can't write a softer character unless you think like one, or a hard character unless you think like one. So, and I think people who can imagine the entire spectrum and see from all those angles are the most empathetic and the usually a lot of times when I like hear someone talk and they like like you just said that you play both sides of the coin I'm immediately like okay he get like it opens up a little bit more where I'm like because I don't want someone to just be soft or like don't worry you don't you don't have to go too hard no because you do have to go hard and I don't want the guy someone to be like like imagine you got them almost to tears and then you pulled them aside and you were like you think this shit is hard? I used to lift weights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's not the time and place to do that. Exactly. But so then, like, but then, taking that even deeper is each individual. 
So if you want to become, yeah, if you want to be an elite coach, you can't coach this person the same way you're going to coach this person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how similar they are. They're going to, they're going to go through daily things in their lives that are different. That day, that kid might've had something terrible happen. You'd have no idea. Like you're, you're going to change your coaching philosophies daily as well to meet that kid's needs on that day. Mm -hmm. Like, like if I reading, being a coach and reading your athlete is like one of the most important things. Like if I see a kid come in and I see he has a hard day or I didn't see it, I, I'm just asking about his day mm-hmm. away from the training aspect, I start to dive into that uh, like a little bit more one-on-one mm-hmm. and then I could figure out how I'm going to get the most out of him that day or that session. So you got to read each kid individually as well as not, you know, like only yeah. just like I got to be hard on him or soft on this person. Or, I'm, or I'm with this you person. 100%. I mean, I don't have nearly the expertise in mentoring people as you, but... It also, it, it, given that I agree with you and that you're saying that, it shocks me how many coaches there are out there who you hear, it's like he just does it his way, <laughs> he screams at people, and like that's how he does it. But the team turns out okay, and I don't know if that's like, I think sometimes that comes back to bike coaches where it's like they, have, they build this behemoth, right, and they're, they're, they do things their way, but then suddenly it doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. And because they're not feeling the pulse and changing and being dynamic in the way that they coach, they, they get they stop succeeding yeah they get the other coaches figure out a better way to do things mm-hmm. and and then take over and then so on and so forth like you could you, and you could look at the those success those successful coaches that were type a personalities that were in your face like they recruited kids that could handle it so when they had success ah. i think they just found the right kids that long island guys <laughs> maybe maybe not <laughs> there's some there's some long island guys that can't handle that stuff either yeah, right yeah, i'm one of them um but um no on, on like a, that's what they recruit but you know, as, as times change, right? Like you're not going to get the same kid that like, you're not going to find probably a kid in Levittown anymore that has a, has a weight room in his living room. <laughs> you're probably not gonna find that anymore. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, I uh-huh. don't know. We haven't found him yet, but like, but like every generation changes. Uh-huh. So like, if you're not getting better as a coach on a daily basis and you're not like on a yearly, monthly, yearly basis, then you're falling behind as a coach as well. So it's mm-hmm. like, like as much as you're teaching and coaching, you need to be learning and learning and learning and, and learning with that curve on how to coach the next generation, the next kid, the next yeah. next group. And I think that's important. I think a lot of coaches miss that. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm always working on myself to be a better coach, which in turn keeps me up with the time of the Definitely, generation. Exactly. I'm like being a coach is just, you just get an arm and like you, you, you get the wisdom of the younger generation too. Like you've acquired the wisdom that your childhood brought, but then you get to relive theirs and you get that too. So in like, I was talking to, like, I, sometimes I talk to Coach Shea from Yale, and I, it's just interesting because I'm like, he definitely is way more in tune with kids who are, like, you know, five, six, seven years younger than me than I am, and he's however old he is at this point. And, like, that's one of the beauties of coaching or mentoring kids is learning them, right, yeah. and learning, like, what makes them tick and what worries them, et cetera, and what works yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean I actually talked to an athlete yesterday because sometimes the athletes talk to me about their coaches on the field and uh-huh. I never talk badly about any coach it's you know that's the way they do it or anything like that um, but they talk about the way they coach and why they coach and I and I tell them this story is like my dad was tough on me like super tough on me like didn't let me get away with anything um, and that's just what I was accustomed to. So, like, if you yelled at me, I'm going to go out and run through a brick wall for you. I got used to that, right? I got to high school, and I had a coach that just, he kind of, like, just poked at me, like, you're too small. 
like but it wasn't like yelling at me ever he never like like he just was like you're not gonna make it you're just not gonna do it that like, it's that okay. harder yeah and like that like that literally drove me to a a, a place of like of working out in the mornings like oh, I'm oh too did, small it worked. It worked. Yeah, oh it worked so oh, like at so that the fact that he didn't hammer you he with didn't it. hammer me I thought and I looked back and I was like at that time I hated that coach like I I he he got me t- but he got me to another level that yelling coach could never get me to yeah. I can only get here with that yep. coach that's yelling at me you know he's pushing me and pushing me and pushing me but it's this I got that coach that did it a different way and just poked at me and said I was too small or th- like things like that that I was like, you know what, I'm gonna prove him wrong. <laughs> and then I went to work. And when I went to work, then you look at that and you look back at it, and I was talking to this athlete yesterday about that. They try to get the most out of you sometimes by doing things that you don't like, right? Uh. Like, they, like they're like, all right, I see so much potential in you. What, what pushes that button that's gonna get you to like take it to the next level type uh-huh. thing? So I tried to like put it in a different way for her um, when, she was, when she was talking to me about it. But I told her that story about high school football. I was 119 as a freshman, mm-hmm. and then I, I, I wound up being an all-state uh, running back my senior year. Like, but the reason was was because this coach poked at me that I was too small. So what did I do? I reverse engineered everything, and I was like, all right, what do I have to do to get bigger? It's work out in the morning or work That's out in the living room. Game. <laughs> I gotta it hit is. the living room. It is. But yeah, to for that coach, you know what I mean? Just for coaches in general, I wonder how many of them are like, you know what? I think Tintel. I think, you know, Tintel's seen enough screams where like he's immune. Yeah. He, if I scream at him to get bigger and that he'll never make it, I don't think that's gonna work. You no. know what I mean? That might as well be the wind. I'm, I'm gonna just be like, yo, Nick, you're not gonna do anything with your life. <laughs> <laughs> like to me, I'm like that's diabolical meets the exact formula that you needed. Mm-hmm. But like, in a way, that's what a coach needs to do. He needs to find that formula yeah you know what i mean and maybe that was a, per- a particularly long island blend where he's he did it in the form of telling you that you were never going to be shit <laughs> and then and then i think um even because i like over i overanalyze all the coaches that like have impacted me over my career and then i look back at um the denver outlaws like with tony seaman and bj o'hara and um and those guys like they believed in me when no one else did did that work yeah <laughs> Right, so I'm thinking they're like, I'm like, I gotta prove myself. I gotta do this. I gotta yeah. do this. I gotta like, hey, you're, you're getting ready. They're for like, they're like, you. yeah, they're like, you're a guy, man. Like, you got it. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, so I, I I analyzed that all the time. I was like, I needed that at that time. I needed someone yeah. to believe in me because I was uh, I was coming back as a 30 year old so rookie. That, this is no one thinks timing. I'm gonna make a team. That's absolutely hilarious, though. You're like, wait, what, why do you believe me? Wait, wait why you're are you not supposed to that? believe me. You're supposed to push me or yell at me or like poke fun at me <laughs> that you're too old or too sl- slow or that, whatever. That's uh, that's it's, hilarious. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, but so. it, it is like yeah. you said, it's a a good. It's good evidence of the spectrum of different coaching, and you needed different coaching at and different timing. times. Yeah. Um, so let's get into that. You were a 30-year-old rookie in the MLL, yeah. which I kind of knew, but then once I started researching, it really came back, and I was like, this guy was a 30-year-old rookie. Not, that's not only um, like, like a tale of perseverance that you came back, just from like a psychology standpoint. It's your first year on the team. There's guys who are probably like 25 being like, yo, Tintel, grab the water bottle. You're like, dude, I'm 30. I'm not grabbing shit. Yeah, no. I don't think, no, that didn't, I don't think that happened. But, but you know what I mean. But, yeah, no, of course. But just like talk me through that. What? So 
Um, so you had tried out before that, right? You tried. Yeah. Out. So so graduating college, obviously never won an ACC game. Um, I had some tough things happen to me. Um, best friend shot and killed. Um, so like, I, I I got called by the San Francisco Dragons when they were still around. I was oh, yeah. going to be drafted in the first round or something like that. And I just I remember the phone call. Like I was like, ah, I don't care. Like I, just don't waste your pick on me. Like yeah, bigger moving fish on. To fry, yeah, I got I got other things going on in my life. And like I was honestly burnt out of lacrosse. Like mm-hmm. you know after four years of college, it's it's a grind. So like you yeah. just like I need a break. Some guys have that. So I took some I took time off. Um, Started doing like things that just are not in my nature. As as we talked about this whole podcast, like I, I'm pretty mentally strong. I, I, you know, I'm always about like improving myself or getting better or proving other people wrong. I went down t- kind of a rough road, um, and I talk about it now. I haven't talked about it in 11 years till recent, um, uh, because I wasn't ready first. But I think it's time to talk about being a coach, um, because these, like I said, these kids are going through some tough times and. Those coaches that don't pick up on that are not going to get anything. Forget about X's and O's and on the field out of the kid, but like, what are they setting that kid up for later down the road um, to deal with these type things? Um, so, so long story short, I um, I moved to California, I packed up, and just left. I like with nothing. Like, mm-hmm. this is. I told my family, I was like, I got to get out of here. Like, family was like my crutch, like comfortability. I needed to like find myself. So it was kind of like just like go figure it out on your own. Moved to California. Um, did some odd jobs here and got back into the sports world. Um, so I was training and, and learning from some guys at a different facility before I um, took over Athlete's Choice. Um, however, as a t- I think 27, I went back to Bayhawks camp um, because I wanted to try and play again. Mm-hmm. I made it to the last round, but they had uh, Reynolds and Abbott there, so like I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna beat those guys out there, like you know, proving themselves over years and years. So um, I got cut last last round, and then. Uh, and then played LXM Pro for a little bit. So, like, 30-year-old rookie, yeah, but, like, I was, I was playing pretty high-level mm-hmm. lacrosse still, just at a different – it wasn't major league. Yep. Um, so I went back, yeah. So after LXM Pro, like, kind of folded, I, I, was like, I was like, you know, I could still play. I, I'm, I, I'm starting to get my, like, speed back. I'm starting to get, like, the game back. So I uh, – 30-year-old rookie, I pay for my flight. I pay for the, the, the tryouts. Um, and they had 100 kids or something there, and – they, they literally told us, like, we're taking one, maybe two guys. I played really well. They took me. Um, played in four games, got cut. Um, I think it was right after we played you guys, you beat us, like, 18-3 to three or something. Like, absolutely destroyed us. I got cut that day. Um, oh, wait. What year was that? 2016. I think that was the game that I couldn't catch a ball. I, I think it was. It well, was, it was a Hofstra? good game to have. No, this was um, at. I think it was at Atlanta. Oh, I don't Atlanta. think I, I was not. You, oh, you were still. Point. You're still. Ah, uh, man, I thought. I thought that was the one I couldn't catch a ball. But anyway, <laughs> we got killed. We got killed. Um, so I got cut, and then uh, and then like thought that was it. Like uh-huh. I was like, all right, I played in four games in Major League Cross. It was awesome. Whatever. I'm moving yeah. On. Did you, was that kind of like I got my fix, or obviously that not, was my goal did, at that did time. Did you feel good my, after my, that? Yeah, I felt great. My goal was to make a team and play in a game. Like my, uh-huh. I remember my first game. Like we were playing Ohio at at Denver. Like you played at Denver. Denver's incredible to play at, and like yeah. you know, like you know, it's a huge stadium. Yeah. Like the SF feels like all right. I I could play at the highest level still. Yeah. Um, and not not playing from, you know, what is that, nine years, really? I don't know how you yeah. possibly did it. So I did it. <laughs> so, like, it was just like, a, I, I did it. I accomplished my goal. Uh-huh. And then I played in four games, got cut. And then they called me back. 
this is when they started believing in me. They're like, no, we believe in you. We like you. We just need you guys. We need you to get your feet wet. So like the four games to get my feet wet. I'm like, all right, I'll play again. So I played the next year um, and played all year. And that's when I started like, all right, now my goal is much higher. I'm on a number one team in the, in the, in the league. We have an incredible, you know, staff. We have an incredible organization. Like I, I loved playing for Denver. I thought that was great. Um, so that's when I was like, obsessed with winning a championship now i've never won an acc game let alone a championship Mm -hmm. never won anything in lacrosse so you were 30 that first year 30 the first year i got cut 31 i came back following you obviously and then um yeah we i played the whole year until the last game before playoffs we're number one seed we already clinched number one seed we lost to rochester but in rochester i uh got in a weird scrum and fell on my wrist this way and palmed my elbow pretty much and knew it was broken told the trainer it was broken he didn't believe me i played the rest of the game taped it up, played the rest of the game, get on a flight back from Rochester to Denver, and the thing blows up like, can't believe. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yep, it's broken. Show my trainer. MRI, there was actually a party at the Broncos uh, surgeon's house that night. He looked at it, he goes, yeah, you probably broke your wrist. So, um, yeah, so so I'm thinking like, all right, well, here goes my chance of winning a championship. Mm-hmm. They flew me out. Um, the next two games where we lost to Ohio Machine in the championship. Um, honestly, that was going to be my retirement year. Like I didn't want to. I didn't even know it was coming back that year anyway. If, but if you guys had won, so you guys lost. But if you had won, even though you didn't play, would that would have, you would have retired? I think so. Yeah, because I remember so like are you talking. Thankful, to, are you thankful that that they they didn't pull it off? It's almost yeah. It's, it's almost a, a blessing. It's almost a blessing in disguise. Where at that time, I remember the locker room. Like I was looking over at Matt Bockley. He's the mm-hmm. other old old guy in the room and yep. he was going to retire too off that win he didn't get the win and i was looking at him i was like what are you doing he goes mm-hmm. if you come back i'll come he's like i'm undecided yet and just i knew he was going to come back so yeah. i was like if he comes back i'm definitely coming back but i just called now my fiance i called her and i was like i got to do it one more year i have to mm-hmm. i just I, i've been through that's so, like i was almost there you know yep. like, like so it's just like it's still in my mind so again i became obsessed with it. i wrote it down i journaled it i wrote it on my mirror i did all this stuff to like just like every day it got ingrained. Um, I mean, you're just a fresh young player. I mean, granted, <laughs> 32 or 33, but your fresh rookie year was only a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, there's so many, there were so many setbacks and stuff like that. But the next year I go to training camp, and, like, I feel like one of the guys now. And, um, you know, I opted out of surgery in the, in the offseason. We went had an up-and-down season in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to, we had to um, beat Atlanta just to get into the playoffs, but I opted out of surgery. I had, a, it's a worker's comp claim, so they were gonna close it. I had to go back to the surgeon, got a CT scan. Tells me that my wrist healed in one place and I rebroke it some part of the season without even knowing it. So I've been playing with a, you know, at one point probably double broken wrist, wherever that yeah, is. Yeah, that's a Levittown story. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's that's it, only someone from Levittown would be. I, I kind of like. I think I just became so obsessed with winning a championship for once that mm-hmm. like nothing was going to stop me. And, and this I, was 2018. That was 2018. Yeah. So, um, so I go. He tells me my wrist is broken again. We beat Atlanta. We beat Chesapeake at Chesapeake, the team that cut me years prior, uh, which is a nice feeling to get yeah. back. And mm-hmm. then um, stick it to him. Yeah. And then we go play down in South Carolina against. Uh, against uh um well it was rochester but uh the dallas rattlers now Mm -hmm. which is the team i broke my wrist and sidelined me for last year's championship so we didn't beat them uh we lost him twice during the season so we got a third chance at him um and and won and 
you know, I got my I got my ring that I've been looking for forever. And it was funny, it was something in the locker room, like all the guys were behind, like get Coach Tindall a ring. Like, so it was like, like everyone was behind me. Like, it was just like a really like tight knit group. It was like, like the joke, like, you know, through our thing was like, get Coach Tindall a ring the whole mm-hmm. year. And I was like, like, I don't know, I didn't have a leadership role, I wasn't a captain, but like they, you know, kind of felt like after all those struggles and stuff, they became, got behind me a little bit. Um, and then like we won the championship and the first guy the first the first person they give the trophy to is me they call me out of the crowd i'm still like on my hands and knees like crying like a little yeah. like girl because i was, <laughs> i just couldn't i couldn't believe it like literally it was a storybook ending right um so they gave me the trophy i raised it over my head couldn't even hold it over my head for you know 10 seconds because mm-hmm. my wrist was just like nah, like just broken so um but yeah, that was my storybook ending from, yeah, from being is. a 30 year old rookie. Yeah, I mean, d- you went, you, you told the whole tale, but just the coming in at 30, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm pretty qualified to put myself in that mindset because I'm going to be 30 next year. And I stopped playing last year, and there's absolutely no way I could do it. <laughs> you, 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 you think so? You, you, def- you, you would definitely would definitely Well, I did, just, fine. I won't be doing it. Um, <laughs> But maybe I will. Did we hear it first? Did we hear it first? Maybe I'm just building up the tension. Um, But the fact that you sat out for that long, but like you said, you were still training, you were, and you took a, but after that Chesapeake tryout, then you did two years not trying out, and then you tried out again. Mm-hmm. Just, just like the, the motivation is through. Well, the Well, I was playing LXM Pro during oh, those two, yeah. so those still, two years, yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. still involved. But LXM Pro was very like. It was it not was. every weekend or anything like that. Uh-huh. There was no, like, training. Like, I wasn't doing anything for it. I was just, you know, doing my daily routine in the gym. Yeah. Was was the, This is a concerning the LXM. Was there any self-hype about that? Did people who were playing in it or organize it, organizing it think it was going to be something? Or was it just I, kind I of I think a, their original goals were, I, I you know, I, I don't know. At that time, I was just happy to go out there and play against some of the, you know, some top guys. Like, we was playing against Peter Baum and, uh, and yeah, Kyle Harrison. Yeah. So, like, I got my reps on playing against some, some top middies being, you know, playing defense at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think they just wanted to take a different approach to it and make it more of an event. Um, and if you look at it, you know, like. Kind of PLL? Yeah, it's yeah. like ML It's like. Mm-hmm. MLL meets LXM Pro just done on a higher scale. That's the exact thing that popped into my head when I saw that you were you had played in that. It mm-hmm. kind of rem- I was like, oh yeah, I remember that little whatever they were going for. But it's not that it was tour based, right? Yeah, it was tour based. Um, it was it was pretty it was competitive. There was, we had some guys out there that played high level D one, D two, D three mm-hmm. ball, um, and then we would go to different places. And then if someone was in that area that wanted to play that weekend, we just like, yeah, we need some guys on each team and. You divvy them up and mm-hmm. go from there. Yeah, maybe it was like the, it was a necessary attempt for the PLL to be what it is now. Because yeah. it was like, well, someone did a tour base, so let's not do what they did. Yeah. Um, I also saw you got. Is it drafted by, by the Seals NLL? I did. So um, John Grant Jr. obviously being a coach of mine at Denver. Um, ah talked to them and said like this would be a good guy to get to tryouts um i think he has what it takes to play indoor um oh, wasn't but. yeah but my wrist so i i had uh, uh a lot of conversation with coach merrill um and then you know getting ready for camp and i told him and he he's pretty much like you got to get your wrist fixed he mm-hmm. goes like i was gonna literally just 
go to camp with my wrist broken because I was still on that high yeah. of winning. Um, you'll basically be, just be cross-checking nonstop. So. Exactly. <laughs> and that's like, yeah. So like, um, so he pretty much, he, he, he told me, he's like, don't, he goes, just get surgery, rest up, um, maybe next year or so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, it just wasn't in the cards at that time. Mm-hmm. It was something, a new adventure that I wanted to do. Um, I don't know. But I think it was more just because we came off a win and all that stuff. Um, but he told me I wouldn't even pass their physicals. Their physicals are way more in depth, yeah. Supposedly, so he's like, "You won't pass physicals. So just, you know, take take your time, get better, mm-hmm. and, and we'll, we'll we'll visit it next year." Um, I actually, Which is this year? Yeah, I reached out. They have their guys filled in, slotted in, and everything like that. So I'm not like bummed about or anything like that. I actually, my first, I played boxing in Long Island, but it was like field box. It yeah. wasn't box, right? Yeah. So we, we, we were up we were and doing. down. I was going right and left handed and mm-hmm. shooting like just like you would on the, in, on the field. But I did get my first um, taste of box in Prague. I was, was going to ask you that 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 was where I was going to take it because I I pulled up a video of. I was actually going to bring it up way earlier when you just said speed. Mm-hmm. You're like, I know speed. I watched some highlights of the game that you guys played the championship, and y- there was a play where the ball was rolling back, and you, like, shot out of a cannon and got <laughs> it and scored on that breakaway. Yeah. And they were like, Nick Tentel, and I was like, oh, that's fitting because that's why I'm watching this video. Mm-hmm. But that tournament looks insane. Uh, one of the best lacrosse experiences of my yeah, life. Yeah, break break that down. break that down for for myself and anyone who's listening. Like, what what is this tournament? Um, it, it's an it's an event. It's more mm-hmm. of like you know you, you're traveling to play the sport that you love. Like, I wanted to get ready for the seals, so I needed or no, I was getting ready for training camp this year. I just got out of a cast for um, PLL, so I'm coming back for PLL. So I need to get some play time. Um, but I thought the box thing would be fun. I never did it. Mm-hmm. The if you ask anybody that has, you know, like, like all the Canadians and everything, like this is on their bucket list to do. So, like, there's some good competition. There's guys that played at high-level box out there. There's a lot of Canadian guys. Um, I got teamed up with the Glasgow Clydesiders, which is a Scotland team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I literally reached out to someone on Facebook about it. And they, so you saw, you wanted to go. And you I wanted to go. Um, I wanted to start doing um, training um you know, in different areas of the world for lacrosse. So I wanted to start doing some speed, strength, skill training uh-huh. where where the, the sport was growing a little bit. Um, so I paired it and then, um, yeah, I got reached out by them. They saw that I got released from the SEALs because of my wrist. Mm-hmm. So um, so Brian Whitmer, he runs the Glasgow Clydesiders. He reached out to me. He said, hey, would you want to play in uh, in Prague for the, for, the, for the box tournament? I said, sure, I know nothing about it, but of course. Um, and I think they made it to the championship once, but they never had really a ton of success there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we, we lost our first game of the tournament, which means we had to go through everything to, to, yeah, to win again. Yeah, you couldn't lose again. Yeah, and again, we lost to the same team we ended up beating, Team Israel. We lost them first game. They won it the year prior, so we got matched up with the team that won it prior. Uh. We lost them. We had to battle back. We, you know, we, we started finding our team a little bit. It was a close-knit group of guys that I met, you know, yep. 10 minutes before I played the first game, yeah. right? It's crazy. Um, and we came together as a team, and we ended up winning that whole tournament, beating Israel in the in And the there's, end. like, a lot of cr- – the crowd looked pretty big. crowd is huge. What – what are these Czech natives? Are they – So, Czech in, – in, in the Czech Republic, they have – it's, like, a little small town. Uh-huh. You get off the train um, – from downtown you get off the train and you walk across um you know down this alley and all of a sudden like the field of dreams for lacrosse pops up like uh-huh. i don't know like what a pretty box 
rink looks like. But if I had to like this draw one up, this is the one I would draw. And are, are the are the locals into it? Like it's a so, yearly event. Yeah, the Czech Republic team is incredible. They play all year round. They they play a ton of box. All their youth kids don't really play much field. Uh-huh. They play more box than anything. Really. Um, so yeah, it's like a big box gathering over there in, in the Czech, yeah, and looks, they have good teams. If anyone's uh, listening, reach out to me to uh, get me on a team. Um, I'll get you. On. I was actually just in Prague in August, and it's a real cool place. What'd Beautiful. You get, what'd you get into? I'm sure it was. Um, I was with my fiance. So we did uh, the, the whole thing. We we walked around everything. Um, kind of did all the sightseeing and stuff in between games. Yeah. Um, so the fiance was there. I, this yeah. is going to be boring. Let's not get into it. I I actually in I went on your Twitter and I saw that you posted a video of your fiance and it was certainly not boring. She does what is what is that that she does that she is, she does a lot of things. She's a um, you know the dance the dance yeah. On the so she does like Cirque du Soleil stuff. So she does lira and silks and um, you know all that kind of acrobatic stuff. Yeah. She started as a hobby and now she's teaching it. Did you meet her? How did you meet her? I met her um, at a Christmas party seven or eight years ago now. Okay, you're just two. There'll be some athletic kids if it, if it comes to that because and I, it was, she seems like she's strong, flexible, and coordinated. So, so she probably couldn't do a pull-up when she first started. Um, and then she would spend like three to four hours a day doing this stuff, and she'd come home, and she, she does hair and makeup, and uh, she works at a salon in, in Huntington Beach um, as her main Mm-hmm. Um, income, but she just she got so good that like she started getting better than the instructors, and they just wanted to hire her. So How old she, is she? She's twenty. She's gonna be thirty, so she's twenty nine right now. She'll be thirty, and well, she's almost like yeah. a thirty year old rookie too. She got in. <laughs> she got into it late, and she's incredible. So anyway, going from a girl that can't do a pull up, and then she comes back, and I'm just like staring at her. Like her back was like shredded, and she, I so I go see her one time, and I couldn't I couldn't believe what she was doing. It was uh-huh. incredible, and I tried it myself couldn't even touch yeah, it. Yeah, it seems like a very specific <laughs> skill set. It was crazy. Um, what else did I see you were doing? You were doing, uh, or I, I didn't see you doing it. I was heavy in the Google wormhole. Did you do that flag football thing? I did. What was that like? So the flag football league, um, I got invited. I think uh, Max Siebold did it the year before. Oh, yeah. And he did really well as a lacrosse athlete, so they wanted to, like, get some um, more lacrosse athletes. So me and Sergio Perkovic did it. Um, I was on uh, Team Vic. Mm-hmm. Um, I played defense on that role. I played like a middle linebacker. Um, but incredible experience. It was, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're lining up. We're lining up with some guys that played in the NBA, like Nate Robinson and, and guys that played in NFL that won Super Bowl rings. And like, mm-hmm. we're the like two lacrosse guys there. Like, so it was like very intimidating. Um, but just to see those guys, how athletic they are and how that w- we can keep up with them mm-hmm. somewhat. Um, for the most part, um, was pretty like eye-opening. Like you always put those guys on a pillar, on like a bigger stand, and yeah. and you know we did we did our we did pretty well um, with that. But just getting to know Michael Vick and those guys and how they operate was just yeah. A cool you get experience. paid more than you did doing lacrosse or what? Uh, I got did that put things in perspective? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I got paid more for one flag football game than probably my whole career at Denver. Uh, that's <laughs> so it did quickly get put into perspective. Yeah, quickly. Damn, I didn't think it was going to be that. You guys got paid pretty well. I should I should not get involved. <laughs> um, no, I'm not nearly as athletic as you. 
Um, so what are you planning on doing just like to wrap things up here? What's the plans for the future? Are you going to keep playing? I mean, you're a 30 year old rookie, so you're really pretty young. Um, <laughs> are you playing this upcoming well, I'm gonna year? I'm going to be 34 I mean, I now. You were, so, well, um, but you, you played in the PLL this past season. Actually, let, let's, let me ask you that. You played in the PLL. You, you played in three games, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think the level of play in the PLL was higher than you ever saw in the MLL? Um, I think guys are more excited to play at the level that they could play at, if that makes sense. I think, um, I think what you saw, the product, I think it was a higher level, higher speed. Mm-hmm. I think it had a lot to do with a little bit of the changes in the field space and stuff. Gotcha. Um, I'm just, you know, like as a defensive guy now, like looking at what, what the polls did, mm-hmm. how they made it more like you're not just playing defense. You're running the field. You're scoring twos. Like... It was cool. Mm-hmm. It was really, it was really cool. It, unfortunately for me, I wasn't up to speed again because I was coming off the surgery and everything like that. Don't make excuses. I didn't play. I played three <laughs> games. However, we'll go back to another like coaches getting like a fire lit under my ass. Like uh-huh. I didn't like. I wasn't. I was content on retiring after winning a championship, going out on top, the storybook ending type thing. Um, but when a guy like Tom Schreiber, who I respect. You know, like it's one, what is one of the top players, if not the best player in the game right now, yeah, calls Long you and calls you and says, "Hey, we need a, we need some DMAs on your team. We know we want we want you." Like you take that as an honor and you say, "I right, like I'll put it on for one more year, or whatever." Yeah. So this was going to be another year to try it, and I wanted to give PL. I think it's a great time for lacrosse and the growth of it. So like, why yeah. not give it a try? I wasn't you know I wasn't prepared the way I would like would have liked to be. Um, but again, going back to the coaching thing, now I got you know coaches. Those coaches didn't believe in me, like the Denver coaches. And I'm not saying they didn't believe in me, but they put the best guys on the field. Yeah. Right? I just wasn't one of those guys. That's fine. Lit a fire underneath my ass again. Like, I got to, like, now I got to prove myself again. And if you, if anyone's listening to this podcast, like, that's the way I work. If, I don't know how that fire gets lit. And different coaches have done it in different ways. Um, but it's been lit again. So I'm probably going to come back and, you know, fight for a spot again and try to prove myself again. And I know that that's the best way I work is when, yeah, you know, when I have a like fire. You're, you respond quite well to obstacles. I, yeah. mean, I feel like we kind of breezed over a lot of the stuff that happened to you where you're like, yeah, so I broke my wrist, blew up like a balloon, the surgery. Like, yeah, I didn't, you, wa- I didn't want to get into it too much. Well, but but yeah. that's, if there was a defining like theme of how your career has gone, it's been a lot of obstacles, but you bouncing back and doing, you know, turning out better. Well, um, and I think it comes back to like the whole thing with my gym. It's it's life lessons through sport, right? Like those mm-hmm. are, like I love when my back's on like against the wall because like those like being at top was cool. Like I like I wanted that championship like trophy. Like once I got mm-hmm. it, like I didn't know what to do next. Like I yeah. was like like I kind of like I think like the life lessons and all that stuff is like enjoy the journey type thing. Like that's the message. Like the journey's tough. That's why I don't coach like I don't like baby kids or anything like that because life is tough things are tough you're going to go through a lot of things it's how you how you react to them, how you overcome them what you do like day in day out to you know get through them or over them or around them or however you want to like say that but mm-hmm. I think that because then you look back and like you could learn more than like in those things than any book will ever tell you or anything like that I think like damn that's 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 like going through fitting, it fitting but also get through it 
not fitting because I was about to tell you what book I'm going to give you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait you to can't read it. You can't learn anything useful <laughs> in a book. you got to live it. No, um, that's not I true. I actually didn't remember the book because I'm an idiot and I forgot it at my house. But I'm going to have you write down your your address so I can ship it to you. Yeah. And I'm, I also have to see if you've either... Have you seen The Martian? The Martian? With Matt Damon? I don't think I have. That's good. And you haven't read The Martian? No. Okay, so it's a science fiction book. I'm not sure if you're heavy into reading, but even if you're not, you have no choice. I'm giving you a book. Um, Perfect. But he, he, the reason that I'm giving it to you is because it reminds me a lot of your your journey. He, basically, everything just keeps going to shit for this guy. I won't. You spo- won't I won't, I won't spoil won't the ending, but it's basically the story of things going wrong and how this guy reacts to them. So I think it's a fitting book for you. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Can't thank, wait to read it. Thanks for chatting with you. Yeah, I know. You, you can't wait to read <laughs> it. I will. I'll read it. <laughs>